0: And a very warm welcome. Here we are. I'm Alex and I'll be your host today for this Nordic Talks edition. Organic food drivers in emerging markets. One of the positives to have come out of the COVID-19 crisis is that people are purchasing more organic locally produced food and are cooking more themselves. At the same time, there's a lack of public knowledge and education around organic food. A clear vision for a sustainable food system is important and just as important is following up on the results. Our Nordic talk focuses on front runners that have the opportunity to share their experience and their know-how in building resilient societies which can cope with the biggest of challenges. So what does an urban farmer in Malmö, a creative restaurant supervisor in Vilnius and a Finnish eclectic food professional have in common? Despite the lack of enablers, their backgrounds combined with fresh thinking and a back to the roots approach help develop and implement SDGs for their workplaces, families, and societies, and they could inspire others to do the same. We're on the brink of a paradigm shift that needs to happen. And it is of utmost importance that people, consumers understand and know the rights from the wrongs, the true from the false. We're living in a time when information is abundant and accessibility is not an issue. But we are also living in a time where we can't or shouldn't trust all of the information that we find. Ironically, it's harder than ever to be well-informed nowadays. It's also harder than ever to make good food choices. We're going to be talking about a number of SDGs today, the Sustainable Development Goals. We're going to be looking at number three, good health and well-being. Number 11, sustainable cities and communities. Number 12, responsible consumption and production. And number 13, climate action. I'm Alex Gibb, I'm the moderator and I'm from Catalyst Adventures, which is the first triple top line hybrid accelerator and fund in the Baltic States, focusing on triple top line startups. So that's entrepreneurs who are having a positive impact on people, planet and profit. Together with me, together with me, we have uh, Edith Salminen, who's a food culture strategist from Finland. We have Vitalia Urbanita, who's a creative restaurant supervisor here in Vilnius in Lithuania, and we have Saba Nazarian, who's a food director and educator originally from Canada. It's excellent to have us all online here today for the talk. So we're going to kick off with a couple of uh, short questions to whet your appetites and set the scene for today's talk. And then as a second question, I'll be asking people to talk a little bit more about their food and lifestyles uh, and how, how they're influenced by food today. So, Vitalia, let's let's start off with you. Have you ever been confused when faced with local and organic?
1: Uh, Hello everyone, thank you for having me here, and uh, the answer to this question is yes, of course. So, from my early age, I was actually grown on a small farm, and I had a luxury to spend uh, my childhood in the field and surrounded by all these farm animals, and actually see how the people are raising all the food that they need to survive. But nowadays, as I am managing the small restaurant in Vilnius, I see this confusion everywhere. And I want to set in stone the saying that organic is not necessarily local and local could be not organic. So for example, if you go to the supermarket, uh, to the groceries grocery store or somewhere where they sell the vegetables and you go to organic food section, just take a look where actually all the food, all the products are coming from. You'll be surprised that even on the season of the vegetables, for example, summer or autumn, the most of the products are coming from different countries like Argentina, Spain, Netherlands and etc. So then I was thinking let's check uh, the Lithuanian products, for example Lithuanian products, and then I checked the label and I want to know where exactly it's coming from. Okay I know that origin country is Lithuania but there's no information about the farm. There is no information about the producer that, which I can contact and check how it's grown. So is there something to hide that is not written in in the label? And, you know, I was digging a little bit deeper into that, and I saw that one of the Lithuanian producers was stating the fact that this vegetable is naturally fresh local vegetables. So I was thinking, is it natural vegetables and they are fresh? But then listen to it, it's naturally fresh. What does it mean? It doesn't mean that the vegetable is natural. It doesn't mean that it's fresh. It's just naturally fresh. So there's no chemicals added to, to, to do this freshness, to keep this freshness alive. And then, you know, so there's a lot of confusions that people, the producers are using this word as uh, local, natural, fresh, and it doesn't make sense altogether. And then there's another, uh, another corn side is local and organic together. So actually, with my practices from here in Lithuania, I meet local and organic producers only in a a farmer market. I see, uh, I meet the producer, I meet the farmer, and I actually can ask them how they raise the vegetable. I can actually see in their eyes what is written. Do they use any chemicals? Do they save and preserve the land, the water, and everything that comes in growing the, the food? So for me, the certification of organic, it doesn't say a lot because in different countries the organic still can use some pesticides still can still cannot actually uh, educate the people what is what is organic how to grow it organically is different regulations so there's a lot of small producers who doesn't use uh, this certification but they actually follow the ideas of growing organic so there's a lot of confusion if and if you don't dig deeper if you don't meet the producer you don't know so the only thing that comes out of here of this misconception of the local and organic is that you have to know who grow your food.
0: Super. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. And uh, probably reassuring for a lot of people listening that, uh, you know, even if you're a professional in, the, in this area, it uh, it can often be quite confusing. So, Edith, let's uh, let's move on to you. Are you personally are you struggling to make sense of it all, especially with all of the, the different information that we are bombarded with?
2: Thanks Alex for that. Uh, I'm just gonna start off by saying a big, big thank you to to the Nordic Talks team for including me in this episode today. It's a fantastic honor to be here with you guys today. And I wanna say hello to everyone out there who is taking the time to listen to us. But yes, Alex, back to your question. I'm absolutely uh, struggling uh, very often. Look, I'm sitting here with a lifelong deep interest and passion for food. And on top of that, 10 years worth of professional experience in food issues. And I still feel like it can be a challenge to navigate the maze of information that I'm bombarded with uh, in stores, in media, in news, by national authorities, by different organizations, etc. All these telling me different things and showing me different sides of, of one coin. And, I mean, I'm starting to, to come to a point where I'm more savvy in terms of my local food system and, let's say, the Nordic food system. And I'm lucky in that sense that I've also started developing a really strong gut feeling, um, which, is, which is most often correct. Um, but I very often get this question from family and friends around a dinner table, for example, like, how do I choose the best type of food or what is the best type of food to buy? And I'm afraid that I sometimes cause more confusion uh, when I start answering. But I, I think it's really important to, to get a taste of how severe and in a way bad the situation is and then start building towards a more positive and aware state of knowledge. But really hear this, it is difficult to buy the best type of food, because there are so many parameters to consider and, and it's also it also depends on what is important to you, what aspects of the food system you want to support and stand for. And you can always start from somewhere, and nobody is a master from the beginning. And as the late legendary chef Anthony Bourdain said, and I quote, there's a lot of ugly shit going on in this world, and you either have empathy or you don't. The more you see of the world and the more you travel, maybe it becomes more personal. But the fact is that we're all in a position to do something, at, and it will have a tangible effect on the planet. So that's a brief hello from me.
0: Thanks, Edith, and that's uh, that's a really nice introduction and a great start to just to give us a flavour of the complexity uh, of the of the food world that we uh, live in. So let's continue with uh, with Sabah. So you know, Saba, what what's happened? Why why has it all become so complicated? Something as simple as food.
3: Uh, I would also like to thank uh, Nordic Talks for uh, having me uh, part of this great discussion. It's a it's a it's a great honor to be uh, part of this talk. Uh, I'm just going to go directly to answering the question. It has become extremely complicated. Yes, uh, I mean uh, you, you look at this multi-trillion business, the food industry. You know, everyone is basically trying to get a piece of pie. Uh, selling their product or service, mainly products, and trying to get a um, piece of uh, pie of the market. Um, There's so many different types of labels that are being used. Um, Natural versus local versus organic or biological, ecological. And, uh, of course, it's all really confusing and it was really, really confusing for me too uh, initially. Uh, even before I decided to um, get into the local food movement as a food actor and as a farmer and uh, and an educator uh, myself. Um, it was extremely confusing to distinguish the difference between what is actually healthy for me. Uh, but I think it really comes down to um, realizing that we are an, an organic matter ourselves as humans. And... When it comes to the health matters, we need to start. We need to start there and say, uh, "I'm going to stop putting anything unnatural and unhealthy in my organic body." So from there, I think it would be really interesting to look at all these products that we see on the shelves, uh, on the shelves in the supermarket. You know, why do we have to have? 20 to 30 to sometimes 50 different types of uh, uh, potato chips. (laughs) Uh, It's the same potato and, um, you know, everyone's just trying to use a different way to be able to sell that potato as a chip uh, to someone. So these are some of the questions that I had to ask myself uh, and um, that was when I kind of um, realized that, okay. There's a a really famous quote from um, Eldridge Cleaver that says, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And that really hit me in the face and really made me realize that not knowing where our food comes from and how it's produced can actually make you blindly be part of the problem. Because after all, we vote with our wallets every day on how we want our future to look like.
0: Sabah, thanks. That's uh, that's a, that's a really nice uh, again a couple of good uh, good quotes in there as well, which which really uh, which really sets the, the scene for us. So, so thank you for sharing your perspective. Um, Edith, uh, Vitaly has talked a little bit about her uh, professional life and you know the experience of going to the market and being faced with this confusion. You know, could you talk tell us through a little bit more, please, in terms of your work experience and how, and your lifestyle, uh, and how does that influence uh, how you see food production and food systems today?
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Gosh, where to start? Um, Well, my passion for food has been there for as long as I can remember, really. And I would like to say that this passion is very much linked to my insatiable curiosity for people and places. Um, I think that food reveals so much about, say, a country's culture, its history, traditions, and likewise of people's values and preferences and even personality um, I remember as a as a young student uh, reading the epic work of Brian Savarin, namely the physio- physiology of taste, written in 1825. And there, this ultra famous quote: "Tell me what you eat, uh, tell me what you eat, and I will tell you who you are." And I remember thinking that it was the one of the most brilliant lines I'd ever heard. And still today, in my work and in my private life, I find this to be so true. Um, So even since then, then I've been so since then, I've been pretty much obsessed with knowing and deciphering and decoding people's eating habits and and then analyzing what that tells me about them. Um, The way I see it is that food shapes us and and our societies and and our communities and food gives us uh, some sort of framework and and a rhythm and and even somehow a sense of purpose. And that's why it's so hard for me to stomach when I encounter people who argue that food isn't important to them. I mean, how can it not be? Uh, but, um, but like I said, food has always been a huge part of my life. And I've always felt strong emotions connected to food. Um, when I get to eat something that is not just flavorful and pleasing, but also made with respect To our land people animals and and the environment it it just it just feels so damn good i mean there's no other way to put it and and that said i i can't really tell whether it's food that has followed me everywhere i go or or if it's me who has actively sought to surround myself with food that's something to ponder over for sure but one thing is certain and and that is that you know our time on this planet is so brief we might as well do what we can during that time to farm well, to cook well, and therefore to eat well.
0: Edith, I think uh, everyone listening into this can can really feel the the passion that you have for food burning through. So, uh, so thank you so much for for sharing for sharing that and uh, kicking us off. So the the structure of the 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 talk Uh, we'll we'll continue after the introductions now we'll talk a little bit about uh, food systems we'll touch on public awareness we'll go a little bit deeper into organic food Uh, we will also touch the pandemic effects and and how that's affected us as societies and we will finish off with a wrap-up with some action points so hopefully there's then you know something very concrete and tangible that you as the listeners can also uh, can also listen into so let's move on then to food systems. And the, the key question here really is, you know, are, are today's food systems and the way that we've built the food systems, are they right for, for tomorrow's world? So Sabah, I'd like to, to start with you and, and ask you to sort of talk us through what are the problems that exist with today's food systems?
3: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think um, this is one of the biggest questions that one should ask, uh, which um, when I asked that question from myself, it uh, led me into a rabbit hole to actually look into uh, what was happening with our food system and how um, a lot of the things that I was seeing around us with the climate change, with the economic crash, uh, with that happened in 2008, or any other problems that we've seen, major problems in the, uh, in, in the world, are somehow related to uh, our food system. Uh, we see uh, deforestation of a lot of um, forested lots uh, globally that are now being turned into um, agricultural land and being used uh, and using uh, monoculture to grow uh, animal feed and then we see billions and billions of um, animals being tortured in animal factories because of the meat consumption that we have globally and um, the ocean dead zones because of um, you know overfishing in our seas and our oceans Uh, these all have um, huge uh, consequences on our food systems and um, uh, not only it's affecting our environment our planet but it's also um, directly linked with the health of the animals and also humans. So as I was learning about all these things, uh, I just really got frustrated because, uh, this is a little bit of a personal um, story, where um, I didn't actually have any hard skills uh, like building things or growing food uh, initially. Uh, so back in 2014, um, I I was... I, up until then, I was basically acting as, an, uh, as a sound engineer, and I played music for most of my life, uh, and I didn't have any of these hard skills, but uh, that frustration of all the things that I was learning really made me want to do something about it, and um, I basically took on the challenge to um, teach myself first where my food came from and uh, how it was produced, and that's... How I uh, ended up basically learning about um, growing my own food.
0: Thanks, Sabah, for 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 setting that out. I think it's uh, you know frightening in many ways to to hear of the the challenges that we have with with everything from from monoculture, animal welfare, oceans, uh, and overfishing. So so Edith, as Sabah has spelled out some of the problems, what are the kinds of education that we actually need to provide to to solve this?
2: Hmm. Look, the, the way I see it is that we've been jailed in a malfunctioning food system for a long, long time now. And, and it's like with any bad or painful situation, after a while, one gets used to it, how awful it may be. Um, the problem is that we have trusted our faith in food in this highly industrialized, mechanized and digitalized machinery that in some way operates Without any true connection to humanity or the environment, um, and therefore we live under the impression that this system is is so solid and almost unbreakable. But that's so far from from the truth, because the the truth is that it's a it's a highly sensitive and and vulnerable system, and it is suffering to a point where the ones who know this and understand this are extremely worried. So, I'd say that we need to we need broad and widespread education about the basics of how a food system works, a healthy food system, one that pulsates in harmony with its many complex elements and and features. And of course, I mean, very important to say there's no one size fits all solutions and there's no one right answer that could fit each context and each reality. But I firmly believe that if more people on all levels in key positions and key roles would truly understand how food systems could live and breathe in a more healthy, sustainable way, and then act on that understanding to make the necessary changes, that's what when we'd start see quite magnificent transformations
0: all, of, all over the world. And thanks Edith for, for for the optimism and the I think the vision setting there as well. That's, that's really important and, uh, and, and valuable. Let's let's bring in some. Uh, I'd like to come back to Vitalia now and, and bring in some context here from the from the Baltic states, uh, here in, in Vilnius, and Lithuania, and also to understand you know to what extent do economics uh, affect our passion for food.
1: Okay, so here I would love to add up to what Edith and Savo already said that uh, by buying honest food we also support small producers, and economically we support our community. So, um, there's a a side that you are buying food, you actually um, support and prevent the climate change, you secure the animal welfare, protect and keep the clean water sources. So, by doing that, as Saba said, you are voting by your wallet. But is it actually true if the person doesn't have enough finances and he doesn't have a, a vote? He cannot choose the organic food, so it means that he cannot actually preserve the nature. I don't know, this question it's it's quite uh, misleading too, because uh, if you think that the carrots, I was doing my little research, the ecological carrots cost five times more than the conventional ones, and the potatoes and cabbages right now is three or four times differences in price. So I was wondering, is it actually only the finances who can... Put this uh, voting system, so it's only Wallace who can vote, and then I realized that actually probably is this is not the case. We can the passion can vote for this uh, preserving the nature. So if we are passionate enough, we would definitely find some small producer who is not that high in in the price of their of their food of of their I don't know maybe some cakes that they're making because um, because they're using some their own grown products. So maybe the neighbor the neighbor's honey is less expensive than actual buying from eco market. And that way you still support the nature, you still support the whole ecosystem, but the price is is, is less high. So here it's um, it's a huge gap because if you go to eco markets, the products cost a lot. And there's not there's a lot of people who is misfortuned with the finances and let's say they don't have a, a voice here. But I think it's not the truth. If you're actually followed by the passion for food and by sustaining the nature and everything, you will find a way how to how to make it. You will find a way how to get still organic and good food, nutritious food by, by not that expensive as you can get in the markets.
0: Super, thanks. Thanks, Vitalia. And that brings us to the end of the first part, which has given us a, a strong overview into food systems, both the problems Uh, solutions some solutions with education uh, and passion and and how to how to think and how to buy so let's move on to to the second section now around public awareness so you know the awareness and perception of good food is low um, but it is also growing and what can we do to further catalyze the the effect of this so Edith perhaps you could start us off by by talking through a little bit around how do young people understand good food today
2: um Sure. I, um, or maybe, you know, actually, I want to toss in Saba into this mix. I think that uh, before I start this, because I, we, we're in the same context, and I know that Saba works a lot with, um, with education. So I'm going to, you know, do a ping pong here and toss this question to him.
3: Oh. Sure. <laughs> that sounds great, Edith. Um, and thanks for the question. I think it's a, uh, it's a great um, uh, topic to talk about because we do see a great... Um, movement among the young people who are really trying their best to uh, question where their food comes from and try to eat healthy. Uh, We see more and more um, uh, young people trying to look for alternative ways of uh, cutting meat from their diet, let's say, and things like that. But then there's another uh, thing that we I, as a food producer and an educator, uh, see here that we can uh, benefit from uh, since we already have this momentum with the with the younger generation, and that is uh, that as the local food demand is on the rise, not only we need um, food producers to grow food, healthy and ecologically food, uh, for the demand, for the rising demand, but we also need Uh, educational platforms where we can inspire, motivate and empower these youngsters to actually be part of the local food production. Uh, And I'm specifically talking about inspiring uh, youngsters to think about becoming an urban farmer or uh, becoming uh, part of, uh, let's say, the food production within uh, city limits. Uh, urban farming as, uh, has has increased a lot over the last uh, f- uh, five to ten years, and it's becoming a trend now. Uh, just like how young people would uh, follow certain food trends or um, health practitioners or dieticians or uh, things like that on social media, uh, they're also looking up um, models uh, where um, a lot of young people are actually uh, choosing to Uh, work as a farmer and uh, make a living and thanks to uh, a lot of um, inspirational um, market gardeners or local farmers that have written books and inspired people now we see a great trend in a lot of young people getting into it and this is one of the things that I personally do uh, through the organization that I work with uh, which is called Le Borg and uh, we have turned our um, urban farm into an educational platform where we try to expose as many as uh, uh, people as possible so that they can come and see how food is grown and try to educate the public uh, that way by physically getting them involved, uh, inviting them to come and get their hands dirty uh, and uh, see how much work it actually goes into growing food uh, locally and uh, educate them that way.
0: Thanks, Sabah. I think that's been a really good overview of of the of younger younger people, and of course, we've been talking about the future of the planet and, and, and sus- future sustainability. So, we need to be to be really focused and thinking about uh, young people. So maybe let's jump back to Edith now and, and and ask, you know, how do people understand good food today? What what does that mean?
2: Sure. Um, I mean. It's in, in many ways connected to the quote by Brian Savarin that I mentioned in the beginning and, and this notion of you are what you eat. Um, good is such a subjective thing and can mean so many things, right? It's, it, it, is, it, is it good because it's flavorful and delicious? Is it good because it's expensive or because it's cheap? Is it good because there's a lot of it? Is it good because it comes with a certain label? Because it's organically certified? Is it good because it's aesthetically pleasing and nicely packaged? Is it good because it's trendy? I mean, or because it's healthy? There are tons of... I could go on and on. All these things are are different aspects of good food. And what we decide is good food within a specific cultural, social, economic, and political context. Um, If you ask me good food starts from the sensation in my mouth. Like that's, (laughs) that's it. Uh, Good, good food has to taste good. And for food to taste good, it has to be grown and farmed with respect to the land in healthy living soils, because otherwise, there's pretty much no way for it to taste good or have the, the correct properties. Now, there, there are certainly those out there who disagree with me on this, um, but I'm a firm believer in that if your soils are healthy and your farming mechanisms are regenerative and the actual crop will then be able to reach its full potential and therefore shine both on your plates and invigorate your senses, um, it's again a question uh, that you as eater can ask yourself. I mean, what is good food for you? Which aspects of goodness matters to you? And how do you then reach a maximum level of that goodness for yourself?
0: Thanks, Edith. And, and again, it feels, feels to me that we're again, you know, touching on the, 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 the complexity of, you know, the meanings of food and what good food is and, and food in general and how to choose it. So let's, let's move on to Vitalia and uh, let's let's ask you know how can technology actually enable better food choices
1: so let's be honest and um, we all right now live in a digital era so social media and all of the campaigns online attract more and more customers so even to shop for food online became a part of most of our daily choice so from my own experience despite of going to the farmers market of course i check a lot of producers online and to be honest on facebook and instagram i found quite a few which we still have a fantastic relationship and they become our suppliers so they are they are bringing us the food which i couldn't be happier about so people are used to be comfortable and not to spend few hours a week just by doing shopping and going to different part of the town to pick up the products that they need for that week so these farmers who create comfortable shopping experience and let us consume honest food in a very easy way, just by a few clicks or by just seeing on Instagram how the chickens are raised, is actually a fantastic saviors. So I would never, I would never change the people that I met online. And uh, for me, it's it's one of the easiest choices which technology can can give us, so they can improve our knowledge how the food is being raised and actually be a platform where we can meet these producers. So I think the, the Instagram or Facebook can be the first step how to how to go into this market.
0: Thank you. Thanks, Vitalia. So let's let's wrap up this second section on, on public awareness, um, you know, understanding what good food means and also, you know, how young people are driving change in, in this area. And, and technology of course now through through uh, through through Vitalia, thank you. And, and Edith, perhaps you could sort of summarize and give us a flavor or a feel for who are really the key actors in, in any local food system and, and how do we give both a face and a voice to these people?
2: Sure, Alex. Um, I think that the most important actors are the individuals. Like, um, I like to think of every human being that consumes food, which is the grand majority of all the alive people, unless you're one who has shifted to Soylent or some other meal replacer pill of sorts, I don't know. But I mean, yes, we we individuals who eat food, we are all what I like to call food citizens. And that means that we're all equally responsible and somehow equally interested on a basic level of food, because we all need to eat. So we, you and I, are the key players um, but then of course if you then look beyond the individual perspective and you look towards the system and its complexity obviously the ones who deal with food physically on day-to-day basis whether it's craftsmen uh farmers chefs or, or a food industry or waste management anyone who touches food are obviously key um, then there are many other players and stakeholders in this this complex web, who are indirectly connected to food and sometimes equally important because they are the ones who, for example, form legislation and policies, even laws um, that affect food and, and, and therefore these other more hands on players. But again, I want to stress really the importance uh, of the individual and how crucial the individual is um, in soothing uh, and relieving the system.
0: So let's move on to the the third section, really around organic food. Thank you, Edith. And and what we'd like to understand here is, you know, is organic food is it some kind of bourgeoisie luxury or is it a right for all? Should it be a right for all? And how can we how can we answer that? So Edith, let me come back to you again. And you know, we've talked uh, already a little bit about young people, but we'll we'll come on to that. And and again, trying to understand the difference of of, of local orga- local and organic. Are they the same? Does it matter? And, and which is healthier?
2: Sure which thing. Healthier? I mean, um, I just want to say that I, I really enjoyed Vitalia's introduction where he she already briefly touched upon this. So I might repeat some of the things that she said, but, you know, repetition is is the mother of all education. So, um, well, the quick and short answer to, to your question, Alex, is that no, these things, local and organic food are not the same thing. So. All you guys out there listening, no, it's not the same. However, as Vitalia so greatly put it, uh, they could potentially be the same and they can co- coexist. Um, food can at once be both local and organically grown or even certified organic. And connected to that, I'd like to uh, say that um, I've seen a huge rise in locally grown food, which is also organically grown, but not certified as such. because The organic certification has in some way become a little bit of a swear word. So these local farmers and growers who uh, choose rather to call their food, for example, chemical-free, cruelty-free, friendly food, honest food. I mean, there are tons of great creative ways to define what essentially means organic, i.e. grown without any interference, without chemicals, no pesticides, no herbicides, and on healthy soil. And an important thing to highlight here is is that just because food is organically certified doesn't mean that it is grown without any chemicals whatsoever. And this is also something that Vitalia already touched upon. The thing is that to be able to obtain an organic certification um, or a label, there are certain additives and chemicals that are obviously not allowed at all, but others are only regulated to a certain point um, and therefore can be used up to that cap or or that lower extent that is allowed um, by the farmer or the producer. So many live under the, the the false pretense that organically certified food is completely chemical free and fully clean, and that's just not true. Uh, so it's it's quite important to be aware of this when you when you're out there buying your food, whether it's in a supermarket or at a farmers market or or wherever, uh, that you're aware of of, of this. Because um, there's heaps and heaps of, of greenwashing around organic as a, as a concept and as, um, as a product. Um, again, do, I mean, do we have to put these rigid labels on food to begin with? And, and what is healthiest? Well, the healthiest food, according to me, is the food that doesn't spend more than minutes or hours max in transit between soil and mouth. Um, that is the healthiest food because it's the food that is the tastiest. Its texture is beautiful. Its 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 bursting of aroma and its its flavor is is expressive, and and also it has all the nutrients that it should have still there. Um, it hasn't been lying somewhere on the other side of the world in containers or warehouses and in cold and sterile atmospheres for, for half a year. I mean, who, who wants to bite into an apple that has been sad and lonely waiting to be eaten for six months somewhere on the other side of the continent? It's, it's tough and hard and gummy and it has almost no aroma and, and it smells of wax. Um, I mean, I don't want to eat that. Who does?
0: Thanks, Edith. I think that's, uh, you know, that's a really good takeaway for on to to some more practical tips and tricks for people to actually take away from today's Nordic talk. Uh, But Saba, perhaps you could expand a little bit on on food miles and and how they hurt the planet and and can we and should we all have access to organics locally?
3: Uh, Yeah, for sure. Um, First of all, um, I I would like to circle back on what uh, Edith was saying about that. apple that travels so many kilometers or miles to get to us with that wax on it. <laughs> um, this is something that we're experiencing in most of the countries and in their grocery stores. Um, and if if any of the listeners are um, experiencing any of the confusion that comes with the labels of, uh, of local versus organic, just think of it this way. Um, as the food is being produced, you know, when, when it's harvested from the fields, whether if it's coming from an orchard or a farm, as like it's a, a it's a carrot that is being taken out of the ground, the moment that vegetable or fruit is harvested, um, the shelf life uh, countdown is on, and it's just counting down to its decomposition. So, the more it travels the less nutritional content and value is going to offer you when it comes to all the vitamins and minerals and all the health benefits that one can potentially have from uh, that particular food. So uh, obviously, buying uh, local uh, vetoes everything here because um, when it comes to uh, organic uh, certification, it's true that they go through, organic farmers uh, have to go through Um, let's call it, jump through so many hoops to be able to uh, prove that their carrots are organically grown uh, to the standards of ecological uh, agriculture uh, and they've used uh, organic certified seeds and they haven't used any chemicals or like Eddie says, um, uh, certain types of chemicals they uh, sometimes they have to use. Um, You know, since when do we have to um, prove that the, the organic carrots, why, why don't we just organic carrots, carrots, and the ones who are producing carrots non-organically or chemically in terms of uh, conventional uh, uh, farming, let them prove uh, and, and list all the ingredients, all the chemicals that they have used to uh, actually grow that carrot. So, when it comes to choosing local versus organic you know sometimes we also have to remember that um, even if we're uh, going into the stores with the uh with the understanding that okay organic is a good thing we have to ask ourselves where is this organically grown produce coming from um if if, if i'm going to the store and picking up an individually wrapped uh, eggplant in plastic that was grown in in Spain, despite the fact that it was grown organically, um, maybe I'm not necessarily doing myself a favor, uh, nor the planet, because um, that eggplant probably doesn't have much nutritional uh, content to offer me anyway, plus that it's uh, wrapped in plastic. So I might be better off going and buying a locally grown um, eggplant, um, even though if it doesn't have the uh, certification on that so uh, i think what's really important is to know your farmer and know where that food is coming from and how it's grown because sometimes if it doesn't even have that certification um it's it might be better to just buy it locally
0: thanks saba i, I, I and I, let's let's now leave the sad apples behind and let's uh, let's take the concept of food miles and minimum transit with us on uh, on our journey, and let's move on now to the uh, the fourth section, which is all around the pandemic and and changing in, changes in eating habits. So so I'd like really to understand now how can we capitalise on these changes in, in eating habits, especially in order to encourage healthy eating. So, uh, Edith uh, Sabba has just talked about plastic. Maybe you could jump on, jump in straight away and, and and talk to us about the the role of plastic.
2: Absolutely. Um, There's there's this one thing that I've noticed uh, with the pandemic, and that is the return of plastic. Um, If we take a look at where we had come before the pandemic in regards to the use of plastic, we had come to a norm where we had started to um, revert back to having fresh, uh, moist uh, dirt on our produce. and, And we loved when there were actual touch and hands in contact with our food. We went to restaurants and and the more the chefs were physically involved in preparing our dishes with their bare hands in front of us, that was quality and, and that was highly appreciated. Uh, and it, it started salivating even more in your mouth. And you could almost feel this, this, this bodily connection and, and the love uh, of the food prepared for you. Um, and you got even more curious to taste about it. And, you know, then boom, came COVID. And hands in food or any sort of physical contact with the stuff you're supposed to ingest uh, felt like it was a huge health hazard and and could potentially even have deadly effects. Um, I saw here in in Malama, for example, where I, I would say that we have become quite aware of plastic that restaurants and cafes um, that previously had up op- had adopted family-style servings to to avoid. Um, use of plastic and, and, and food waste and so on, uh, now have uh, single packed and plastic wrapped portion sizes. You know, even bread rolls are plastic covered, you know, to, to, to create this illusion of, of cleanliness and, and safety. Um, water is served in, in plastic single use cups rather than communal pitchers as, as we're used to. Um, I'm, I'm sure others have noticed this too. And it's super interesting to see that uh, in the light of a potential risk of your life, the sense of emergency v- wins over your sense of environmental duty and responsibility really, really fast. Um, when it comes to a question, am I to survive? Is my family to survive? Folks don't really care about if there's plastic or no. You know. Um, so the pandemic has in, in that way, turned our values and, and ethics upside down really overnight. And, and it's going to be super interesting to see the repercussions of this and how long this will last uh, even now when when certain countries have and are about to start nationwide vaccinations um our minds have now been so set to think that hands in food means that there's a risk uh, of of you know getting contaminated or getting in touch with other people's bacteria and with we've, we've gone we've become bacteriophobic more than ever um but but i um, I really hope that that once this this uh, pandemic sort of leaves us we can once again revert back to how it was before and and to trust each other and and therefore even accept hands in food again. I, I really really hope so.
0: So Edith, you've touched on some of the negatives of of uh, you know the pandemic with 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 plastics, the rising plastics, but also thanks for finishing off on a more positive note with the with the with the hope and the aspiration of more more trust I think uh, you know probably many people will relate to the, to the picture that's been going around on social media the, the heartbreaking picture of the the mandarin that was peeled and then put in a, in a plastic uh, plastic pot uh, as if nature itself couldn't have come up with a better way of uh, protecting the fruit but let's move on from the, the negatives and let's talk a little bit more about some of the other positives uh, and Vitali I you know, I'd love to hear from you what are the good examples that you've seen from from food entrepreneurs?
1: So here I would like to to call myself my restaurant, our restaurant, as uh, one of the food entrepreneurs. And uh, actually, because of the passion that we have for food, for organic food and and the nature by itself, we took a decision to go and to use the products which is as natural as possible and as local as possible. So um, we are actually displaying all of the vegetables that we are using for cooking. On, on our bar, so all of the customers, all of our guests who come into the restaurant, and they can see what products we are using to, to make the food. So uh, sometimes, you know, they ask a question where it actually came from because there's a perfectly nice aubergine and uh, where it came from, why are you showing this to me? It's not in a plastic wrap or anything. And they tell, and we are telling the story where, it, where it's coming from. For example, I remember one lady, uh, who was so fascinated about the eggs that we had on a display? So they were, uh, of course, happy chicken eggs. They all looked different, and she was fascinated about the way how they look because probably I don't know, maybe she never saw the the range chicken eggs. So uh, by, by, by seeing this fascination in people, we maybe spark an interest. And To continue this interest by presenting every plate on a table we are telling the small story how this food ended up in your plate So for example imagine if you're eating sweet and sour beetroot and there's no story behind it You just eat it probably it's good. It tastes good and you're finished but imagine if you're eating the this the same dish and I'm telling you that this beetroot was grown in a small farm Where actually is just uh, one family working there. They have three beautiful kids, which we know all of the names and we know them personally. And you know that they put all their love and passion to grow this one beetroot. Probably it's gonna the experience of eating this beetroot is gonna be way better. Of course, the beetroot gonna taste better, but at the same time you're eating this vegetable and you're thinking that you're not damaging anything you're not damaging the soil you're not damaging the people's passion to actually enjoy the good food and to raise a good food so probably is not just what you're putting in your in your mouth to feel less hungry but what the food states what the idea it brings to you so just to put it in a simple words we are informing our guests where the food came from and we are kind of personal personalizing the food. So there's a lot of customers who are actually taking the contacts of our farmers, they are contacting them, and after that they buy the products from them. So the thing that we are doing is just to spark a little bit of interest and to to let the people carry on and, and maybe get some knowledge in it.
0: I think that's really inspiring to hear the the sense of sparking that curiosity and interest, and and encouraging them to to go out and interact more with the with the food producers as well. So really good, uh, really good example there, uh, Vitalia. Thanks for for that. And and I think that really brings us to the to the end of the uh, the fourth uh, section uh, around the pandemic and how that's changed eating habits. So we've heard some of the the, the negatives around plastic. We've also heard some of the positives and uh, and we can we can move forward into into the final part and the final part of today's nordic talks is all around action points and this is really to give the people listening in here to give you all an opportunity to actually take some today and and understand what can you do what could we actually what could be concrete that you could take away and 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 do yourself as a result of this? So, so Sabah, uh, I think I'd love to to touch uh, touch on you uh, your your ideas first. So, what uh, what would you be your sort of closing messages on on this side? Uh,
3: for sure, I think um, I'm going to share a, a very inspirational quote by Napoleon Hill that says, "If you cannot do great things, do small things in a great way." And this quote really uh, moved me as I was um, uh, learning how uh, I wanted to actually start growing my own food. And um, for those of you listeners who are wondering where you can start, you can always start with yourself. Um, One of the easiest things that you can do specifically when it comes to uh, learning how to grow your own food is to learn how to grow microgreens. Uh, Microgreens are extremely nutritious and they're super easy uh, to grow on a kitchen counter or in a window pane in your apartment, no matter how uh, limited your space is. Uh, This is a beginning of uh, a very interesting period that we're going to get into because a lot of people are actually now... um, finding themselves growing sprouts and microgreens at home and that kind of leads into them wanting to grow other things like uh, uh, carrots and beets and some salad greens and stuff like that on their balconies if they don't have the space to uh, grow. So that is one of the things that I highly recommend people to look into uh, and uh, hope that They can be uh, inspired by uh, growing and harvesting their own first microgreens to put in their salad and uh, hopefully they can uh, continue on uh, growing other things. And Another thing that you can do is to just uh, try to look up your local farmers in your city. There's a lot of urban farmers. Uh, in um, metropolitan cities uh, since uh, I mentioned in the beginning of our talk that it has um, become the new trend uh, you can always look up um, your local urban farm and go visit them introduce yourself uh, you know ask them if you can join them on the farm uh, get your hands dirty a little bit uh, you might uh, learn a few uh, things here and there and um, worst case scenario Um, If you can't do much with your time, uh, if you're limited, um, my recommendation is to try to buy your produce directly from farmers. By by doing that, you're not only supporting uh, local farmers to continue uh, doing all the good things that they're doing in their cities or in their uh, communities, but you're also um, playing as part of the solution to all the problems that we're having with our food system.
0: Sabah, thanks, thanks so much. Um, let's let's switch over to to Vitalia, and moving on from from local farmers to to your thoughts on on what can be done next.
1: So here, because I'm I'm talking from a perspective of uh, being a citizen of Lithuania and, and living here, sometimes I feel a little bit alone in uh, in all of this uh, misunderstandings and all of this confusion about organic food. So um, I mean. There's a lot of communities that, when you start digging into that, you you see that you are not alone, and uh, it's it's actually perfect way to join some maybe online communities and share the same ideas with the people, so you don't feel left out. And you know that the changes cannot be made when you are you are alone. Probably you would it would be very hard for you to figure out what is the truth, where to find all of the producers. So just just be a part of this. Of this connection of this web which actually connects the the consumer and the farmer so if you can influence one extra person in that community or maybe create your own community it would be perfect just just if you feel the need to know a little bit more about the food don't be afraid to take the first step actually maybe to read one article to go to buy the carrot which is organic and then maybe talk with your mom about that maybe she would hook on on the idea and you can you can share the, everything together. You can, you can create something better.
0: Thanks, Vitalia. And Edith, now, let's, uh, let's wrap up with you uh, as the final call to action.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, look, we've talked a lot about food systems and how we understand them, uh, know them and see them. And yes, sometimes it truly feels like you're standing in front of a fully blank canvas and you, you don't know how to start drawing onto it. Um, and those situations are, are are still common everywhere in the world. Um, so to start painting on this canvas and putting colors on it, nuances and shadings and dimensionality, um, I think starting to form a food council on local level is a good way to start. Um, and this is actually a, a personal experience from, from Malmö where I'm living. Uh, we're now in, in, the, in the midst of, of, of forming a food council for Malmö and we're doing this in uh, within uh, um, a strategic food project called Food Malmö. Uh, you can have a look at that online if you want. Uh, it's an EU funded multi-stakeholder food strategy project. Um, just to just to let you know like food what food councils are so we're on the same page and you understand what I mean uh, food councils are most often like these independent entities uh, a grouping of, of various types of actors it can be individuals or organizations from different sectors that have a st- strategic role and interest in food issues within a specific area or community um, and These people and organizations then come together to form a united whole because they believe that together they can be stronger and have a stronger voice compared to them individually. Um, It could be compared to like an interest organization or even a political party in some way. Um, All members might not fully agree on the details, but they have a joint united agenda and overarching goals that they, they agree on and therefore push forward. Uh, in their local group and and have a voice for food. Um, And the main aim of of food councils is very often to to shift the local food system in a city or in a town or in a village towards a healthier and and more accessible, more sustainable food system. Um, This probably sounds really complicated and, and, and forming a food council might not, might feel foreign, but please don't, Get afraid of of these like big words and 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 you know perceived complexity because it it's actually not that difficult there are many ways to go about it and what the first steps are um, uh, but the very simple and straightforward way to do this is to invite a handful of of actors from different sectors Uh, connected to food. So say that you invite one chef, one farmer, one person who works with food waste in some way, uh, maybe one public food officer, and maybe one politician. And you have these people meet and discuss common issues and problems and hopes and dreams. And, you know, we know that the best way to get people together is to cook a meal, invite these people over for for some delicious local food pour some good wine and have these people marinate in their ideas and start by asking, just like, hey, how can we do this? How how can we, um, uh, we all need this and want this? Uh, where should we start? What connections do we have when it comes to food? How can we together start painting on that blank canvas and get to know our, our local food system? And it really, it starts from there. Um, and, and how it goes from there is, is up to each each community. Um, on, on our process here in Malmö, I mean, we had no no uh, pattern or recipe for this. We just started by inviting these people to one place, and that's how it started. And it has been super fun, confusing, but above all, immensely inspiring. And we have a fantastic team, and even Sabas Butilinbodi is also involved in this. So, so I mean, it's it's different people coming together from different perspectives, and and new ideas come to life. And and you know, it's really a, a, a message that. Together we're strong and alone we're weak.
0: Edith, a powerful note to finish. So thank you so much for for ending us on on that note. And a very warm thanks to all of our Nordic Talks audience today. You have heard from an urban farmer in Malmö. You've heard from a creative restaurant supervisor in Vilnius and an eclectic food professional from Finland. I would like to to finally thank you and say that it's been a pleasure to to have this organic food as a health driver in emerging markets talk today. Thank you, goodbye.